I'm going to sort of assume that you know what's going on right now. Uh, and if you don't, then I'm trusting that the way we've crafted today, it's going to become clear as opposed to consistently pausing and stopping to catch you up on the story. But um, if you know what's going on, then I suppose, like me, you're feeling hugely excited about today. It's a big day in our church's life. Uh, as I said at the beginning, this is a day we're going to look back on and celebrate. And throughout the sermon series, we've been talking about this concept of a home, that this is a building that we uh, have done church in for a long time. Um, but it's time for us to, to have a home, to build something that represents who we are, that aligns with our personality as a family. Um, and we've spoken a fair amount about money and our family's relationship to money, and there's been a huge amount of freedom and challenge in that. But we've neglected to talk much about the other stuff that defines what our home is like. And if we're about to set sail in some big new vision for some new building and some new space, um, then I wanted to spend a little bit of time today just looking at the family album. And just talking about who we actually are and what really resonates with us and what we've loved over the last six years as a church, uh, what makes us us. And um, I think that's quite exciting. Also, this service finishes at 11.30, uh, so I have plenty of time. <laughs> ha, 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 yeah. Only at 11.30 because then you have to go and watch the Proteas. Otherwise, we just carry blazing on. Um, but honestly, the community day after this, the children's church program just runs straight into that. You physically will not be able to get your children back for some time. Uh, there's a word for that, um, kidnapping and extortion, uh, and we're okay. We're comfortable with that this morning. So from here, you're going to get your free cappuccino, which may take some scrummaging, um, and then you're going to head down to the Chipping Green, um, buy pancakes and voice rolls, because those are going to raise money for a children's camp that's here wants to run for our whole Sunday school and the other sites, um, and there'll be a jumping castle, and there'll be all sorts of good stuff, and some music on offer, and then at some point, uh, a general knowledge quiz, so that we can all discover how smart we are. Uh, so that's what's happening for the rest of the day, and so I'm not going to preach for a whole lot, um, but I want to just chat about what makes us us, if that's okay, because I'm, I suppose, feeling this slightly, I mean, I don't know if it's a bit cheesy, but I've got this paternal pride feeling going on, like, and whatever happens over the next few weeks and months, I just feel so proud to be part of this community. And so in leading up to this Sunday, we asked the life groups to get together and chat about what they love about their church, what they really resonate with, what is part of the home that, that they love and would want to fight for. Um, and so they all chatted over the last few weeks and then came up with a bunch of things that they love about our church, and then they asked one or two brave souls within the life groups to film uh, those comments, which are going to be available on social media later this week. So the whole lot, all the interesting stuff that got said by different uh, characters in your church is going to be available on our Facebook page. Um, but uh, just to give you a little highlight reel of a few of the things that you guys say you love about our church, uh, I'd like you to watch this video. Deets, are we ready? Play the tape. Yes, it's a tape in this house. It's a One tip. of um, the aspects that I enjoy about Olive G. I would take family, parenting and marriage so seriously. And I've found all the leaders to be very accessible, um, open, and, and they, they really preach the love of God. And um, I've loved the preaching. You feel noticed, you feel valued. We love how our church welcomes everybody. I think for me, one of the best things about Olive Tree is just the authentic realness of, of the church, of the people. It served as a, a community that made us feel at home. It made us feel that we could meet new people and meet family and friends. But I, I find it a free space where I can put my hand up and I can just be me. For us as a family, it's a place to really put down our roots. You can see that Paul and all the other pastors, they, they are real men. Um, and it's very, like, it's something that I don't see a lot in those people that truly lives out an authentic faith. 
it just, yeah, you just feel like you're part of something so much bigger than yourself, something so much more meaningful. Right, there's a whole lot more where that came from. Uh, I'm very proud of you guys who were prepared to go on camera. In this home, we also shame those who don't use uh, landscape. Um, but yeah, there's loads more of that um, where that came from for you to see during the course of the week as we release it all. But if we're trying to figure out what the essence of what our church is, if the thing that makes us who we are, um, then I'd like to take you on a little journey through some scripture, okay? Um, because it's always fascinating to look at the places where Jesus deliberately disappoints people, the fights that Jesus picks, the noses he's prepared to put out of joint. Uh, and there are a whole bunch of those, aren't there? There's some interesting moments. There are people who want to complain to him that he doesn't do enough for the poor uh, and lets people just worship him with expensive perfume. You might be familiar with that story. And he's like, oh, stop your nonsense about giving to the poor. Let's just get the main thing the main thing. Worshiping God is the main thing. Of course you should look after the poor. There are people who are bummed with Jesus that he doesn't take sin seriously enough. Often this is the thing, isn't it? They're badly behaved people that Jesus isn't shaming and correcting as much as they'd like him to. Women caught in adultery, etc., etc. And Jesus is prepared to continually annoy people um, with the fact that he has a whole different way of dealing with sin. Jesus is prepared to annoy the religious people who want him to go through the motions of certain traditions and celebrations and Sabbath days and so on. And he's prepared to just break the rules deliberately sometimes that really puts their noses out of joint. Um, of course, there are all the religious scholars who want to debate deep theology with Jesus. And he engages with them to a point. But even they, he's prepared to annoy from time to time. I go, okay, enough with all the highfalutin theology. Let's get down to something more important. And I want to take you to a moment like that where he disappoints some people. Um, I suppose off the top of my head, there are also moments where people want Jesus to be really caring. And he is super caring, but he also has other stuff to go off and do. We often quote that stuff out of Mark where Jesus is like, no, all the people are looking for me, but I'm going to sneak out of town and go to other towns who haven't heard of me yet. So there are a whole lot of times where Jesus is prepared to annoy people. But one of them comes in Matthew 19. And the context is that they're discussing divorce. So think about that in today's terminology, that there's some social issue going on. There's a, there's a problem in the way people are dealing with a, a beautiful thing that God has made, an ordinance that God has made, marriage. And uh, today, there are plenty of debates and arguments that go on about that topic and related things as well. Why isn't the church dealing with this stuff more? Why isn't the church taking a big stand? Why isn't the church loving these people or hating these people or correcting these people, or etc.? And so the Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus about divorce. And Jesus deals with their theology a little bit. Um, but then wants to change the subject. And in the meantime, while this highfalutin theology has been going on, some little children have been wanting to get to Jesus. Because they just want to be with him. Because he's actually just magnetic. Jesus is just wonderful to be around. And all these annoying theology types who've come with their own agendas are usurping Jesus' attention. And the little guys just want to get to him. And the disciples, who you would imagine, if they're anything like, that, like us, also have agendas for Jesus, also want some of Jesus' attention, also want us to be the point are saying, well, flip, if the kids get in line as well, this really is going to be like free coffee after church. Like, we're never going to get what we want out of Jesus. And all the people, the social justice warriors are going, and when's Jesus going to deal with the poor? And all the, you know, vegetarians, and when's Jesus going to deal with this? And everyone has an agenda. Everyone wants Jesus to make church and being a community of faith about their thing. So the disciples, as you know, rebuke the kids. Shh, 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 go away, go away. You're not important enough. You don't get access. Okay? You know the moment. It'll come up behind me now. This is what Jesus um, says to them. He says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Then he placed his hands on them and blessed them. And everything that these guys have been talking about in those videos 
resonates for me with something that, as I've chatted with more and more of you and the, the old souls who've been part of this church for a long time and the recent additions, is that this idea of making Jesus accessible to people. That's the thing, isn't it? That's what we exist to do. If you go on to read the Great Commission, that that is actually what the church exists to do, to guard and ensure that as many people as possible get access to Jesus. But we need to be aware that that comes at a cost because we've got agendas. We've got some stuff that we want out of him. We want him to help us grow in our theology. We want him to meet our needs. We want him to care for us deeply. We want him to create a certain community and all these other good things, which church is also supposed to be about. But surely, first and foremost, if our agendas for what we want out of God are getting in the way and hindering others getting to him, we've made a mistake. Just to reiterate once again, you, there's no way you're going to get people access to Jesus if you yourself don't get access to him. There's no way you're going to teach people about Jesus if you yourself don't know him. So of course, there's all that good discipleship and growth that needs to happen in churches. But if that stuff comes at the expense of access to Jesus, we've missed the point. Certainly in this church, that seems like the thing that you guys are prepared to put people's noses out of joint about. We want to make Jesus accessible, even if that means we have to go to the back of the queue. Even if that means the Christians in this place are not the most important people in this place. We want to make Jesus accessible. And when I think about that, and when I see how you guys embody that, I get so inspired to be part of a community that says, okay, we're going to take away whatever hindrance stops people getting to Jesus and make sure that they get to him easily. And that means something specific. If you're talking about getting people to Jesus, then, then I think that means a few things, right? Getting people to Jesus means firstly getting them to the person of Jesus, making the person of Jesus accessible. It means describing him in ways that make sense, describing him in ways that are true, describing him in ways that allow him to be as attractive as he is. Children just wanted to be with him. Yet so many churches describe someone supposedly like Jesus that doesn't sound very attractive. And so part of making Jesus accessible is making the person of Jesus really accessible. You don't have to be perfect. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to be perfect. In fact, he loves to work with the weak and broken and shameful things of this world. So the more broken you recognize yourself to be, the more honestly you look at your life and go, I don't have it together, that you are perfectly positioned for access to Jesus. Let's not talk about him in a way that makes it seem like you've got to have your stuff together before you can turn up at church. No, everyone is welcome. You don't have to be perfect. Even the preachers here, even the leaders here, especially the preachers here, don't have to be perfect. But it's not just this great news that you have access to Jesus that we want to make accessible, not just the person of Jesus. We also want to make the kingdom of Jesus accessible, which means the power and provision and presence and glorious, awesome, unexpected, rule-breaking stuff that the kingdom of God makes possible. Healing and miraculous restoration and gifts in operation and being able to hear from God and experience his presence. We want all of that to be accessible as well, don't we? So on the one end, we're going, the little children must come here. They must feel absolutely accessible, no matter how many dumb things they've done, no matter how far away from church they think they are. If you think about some folks in the upper highway area that fall into that category of like, yeah, you, you really don't have it together, great. They must feel welcome. But then we don't want to just tell them stories about someone. We want them to experience the power and presence of God. We want to experience the benefits of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to make those two things accessible. We are prepared to be annoying. We're prepared to be shouted at. We're prepared to put people's noses out of joint and make enemies in the case of making Jesus, his person and his kingdom, accessible. Does that sort of resonate? Does that make sense? That is the thing, which is why any building project we were to embark on or any cool thing we want to embark on, any good thing that this church is going to do, needs to first go through the filter of, are we making Jesus, 
his person and his kingdom accessible to our neighborhood? Are we making him visible to them or are we just doing stuff that's putting barriers in their way? And so that's why we've done a bunch of things over the last little while. So I want to go into the scrapbook, right? We're going to go look at some photos. Dietz, you can start flicking behind me, and I'll just tell you when to stop. This is Florida Road, so just pause here for a second. This is where our church first came from. Now, many of you haven't gone there, and that's totally fine. Um, but we are one church, and it is worth sometimes taking a little road trip down to Florida Road. Uh, but that gives you a little sense of what that church is like, right? In the middle of town, most people think it's a nightclub. You wander in there by accident. And then you see the people in the front foyer area and you become convinced that it's a nightclub. But then the next thing you know, they're, pray, they're praying and worshiping and there's a preach going on. And sort of, you know, people have, are going to turn up in heaven one day surprised because they went to a church service and they didn't know what they were there for. And then this is about to have come dark. But let's just say they got hit by a car, right? Let's just for argument's sake. No, anyway, we're taking this a little too far. But I love the idea that people can turn up at church and not feel like they have to jump through any hurdles or look a certain way or speak a certain language. They just get to turn up. And the next thing they know, they're caught up into something attractive and beautiful and God becomes real to them. So that's where we started. But then we moved up here uh, and started to, to do some things in this neighborhood. So you can carry on flicking through deeds. And in the beginning, it was just a little ragtag thing. But we had that same DNA as Florida Road. And then you guys who live up this way infused it with a Kloof Upper Highway vibe. This was our, our Christmas service. Oh, crumbs. Deeds followed my instructions and kept flicking through. Uh, that was good of him. Um, this was Christmas Eve, or the carols, a few weeks before Christmas last year, if you were there. 2,000 people turned up, I think. No, that really is pastor maths. 1,000 people. 1,000 people. But what's 1,000 people between friends, right? Um, 1,000 people turned up at a carols event after a couple of hundred would normally be on Sundays, after 10 people who used to go down to Florida Road started a life group seven years ago. And uh, if you flick through some others, this is how we do Access, access to Jesus. A wine evening, right? Because people up here um, have problems. And, <laughs> and because we want Jesus to be accessible to everyone, and not just his person, but his kingdom, well, his kingdom means good news for the poor. And so Tolatando got served, and you guys bought them a car, and people go there every single week to do home groups and, and what's the word? Homework uh, with the kids. Um, just super proud of what goes on there. And then just to flick back a little further into our history, if many of you wouldn't have been around, but this was one of our first Christmas Eve things where that massive big um, marilla tree or whatever kind of tree it is in the parking lot, we rigged it up underneath uh, with that big stretch tent uh, and did our, our Christmas Eve service there. And if you go back a little further, this is the first Sunday sessions we did at Lineage Coffee Shop. Because the idea of making Jesus accessible means, well, we're going to take him to you. And we had the conversation was super dodgy, like crazy dodgy. There was so much swearing, so much sexual innuendo. Because the panelists weren't Christians. One was a lawyer. One was a struggling stand-up comedian. There was all sorts of weird stuff going on. And um, we had moral and theological conversations in the city. And we continue to do those every, every time we get a chance to. Let's flick it one further back. Um, I remember this uh, from, I think this is like 2016 or 17. The most nervous I've ever been for a church event. We hired the uh, town hall in Kloof and decided to put on a worship evening and invited any old folks and other churches to come. Uh, and we were honestly just this little motley crew, 100 odd on a Sunday. And we decided to, you know, that we of all people had the right to invite the rest of Kloof to come to a worship evening. Um, and I put on a blazer that night, freaking out, thinking no one's going to come. Definitely no one's going to come. You know, an hour before, you know, no, I'm certain now no one's coming. This was a dumb idea. Uh, and we'd rented all this gear. And then 
Everyone pulled in. There was, at that stage, the 220 people that came that night was like mind-blowing for us that that many people came. And people from other churches were just sharing words and blessing our church. I just remember the Dukes from St. Agnes who were still around at that time. Um, and Ruth Dukes, the, the lady, was just prophesying over Olive Tree and what we were going to do in this neighborhood. Uh, and then not long after that, if you flick to the next one, we decided to improve the country club because although it doesn't suit us now, back then, lime green... Like in this home, we are not lime green. So um, we, we decided to, to just bless the country club and foot the bill for the whole upgrade. So when you walk around here and see flowers and pots and semi-nice looking things, that was your church that did that a bunch of years ago. Knocked out a wall that used to be here. I love that Ray decided to come working in her, the Builder Wears Prada. Um, and so yeah, there was bashing out of walls and, and filling up a old fireplace that used to be here. And you guys were all part of that. And people donated time and donated paint. And so that's how we have, throughout years and years, done our best to make the person and the powerful kingdom of Jesus accessible. And so to that end, we've done some sermon series, right? So I thought we'd just flick back through some sermon series that have been hilarious, that kind of express who we are. So the first two, uh, the story of Ruth and the next one, bringing Holy back. Oh, there we go. Um, have this idea that, like, there's being seeker-sensitive, which is sort of fluffy, just telling people what they want to hear. And then there's being true to the gospel, being gospel-centered, which means we're going to preach the truth of the Word of God, but do our best to make it make sense. That why would we not go to the trouble of taking the Word of God, which we believe connects to the real issues that people are facing, and actually do the hard work of making those connections for folk? I love those two sermon series. I don't know if you remember them. They're kind of recent ones. Sonny Borner, I suppose, is in that category of reaching out to where people are at. But if you keep flicking through, going a bit further back, does anyone remember that one? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Keeping up with the Corinthians? is one in a long line of slightly risque sermon series that we've done where we've deliberately tried to be, I suppose, just the right amount of offensive, and you could argue about whether we got that right or wrong. Um, but we did street poll ads and put dodgy pictures up. There's actually been a little bit of Photoshop to, because there were some, some lines and creases on the original picture that needed to be removed to make it like, acceptable. It's just unbelievable scenes. But anyway, th this was what the creative said. Like, hey, let's just go speaking about the chaos that was going on in the church of Corinth and all the weird things that they were getting up to um, and bring that into our current day. The next one is a similar story. If you were around for this, you may remember it. What kind of church does this stuff? And we went through various J's, Julius Malema, Jeremy Clarkson, James Bond, people like this, uh, and started to draw parallels between what Jesus was saying to people in his day and what Jesus and the gospel would mean for people today, people who represent certain stereotypes. Um, it was a hugely potent series. So I've loved that we're the kind of church that for all the headaches it causes us and all the weird emails we get, we still would rather be on that end of making Jesus accessible than the other end. But we've not just shocked for the sake of shocking. We've also tried to make people interested. So flick to the next one. I've always remembered that. If, were you around? We're going back a couple of years now. Just put your hand up if you remember it. This idea like you were designed not for comfort and safety. Maybe you just needed to hear that this morning. You were not designed for comfort and safety. You will die in comfort and safety. You were designed for risk. You were designed for adventure. You were designed for a glorious story. That sermon series tried to capture that idea. Uh, there'll be some others if you flick back, Deets, that um, tried to intrigue people, that you were designed a certain way and your maker has some things to say about that. And so I remember this where we had all kinds of dreadful foods up here and we're discovering that in fact Schweppes dry lemon has more sugar in it than Coke and other sort of interesting things that we discovered during that sermon series and then started to speak about how if there's some life hacks for your body, there might be some life hacks for your soul. 
some simple principles that if you were to grab hold of them would unlock things spiritually uh, and relationally for you. Uh, and I don't know if we, we've got any more. If you want to flick back any further, no. Uh, <laughs> we are here to make Jesus accessible. That's what we're here to do. We're here to make his person and his kingdom as accessible as possible. And so I want to go back to Matthew 19 because there's one other bloody nose that Jesus is prepared to give. As you continue, he's just been speaking about the little kids and that they should have access to him. And then a young dude comes up to him uh, and says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus is already referencing the only person who's really good is God. Little cheap shot there, which sort of sets him up already. And then says, well, then keep his commandments and worship him. So the young ruler says, well, which commandments? This is such a fascinating answer that Jesus gives. Because Jesus, as you'll start to notice, if you're aware of the Ten Commandments, deliberately, deliberately leaves a few out. And so he says... Well, you shouldn't murder, uh, shouldn't commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Interesting, the ones that Jesus left out, right? You might be struggling to think of some of the finer details, but the first commandment, the most important commandment is one that he left out. If you need help, it's love the Lord your God. And Jesus has left that one off. I wonder what he's setting this guy up for. So this guy's replied, well, no, these other ones you've kept about my neighbor and my testimony that I give and what I do to my parents and so on. I've kept all those commandments. But Jesus, knowing what's going on inside his heart, has deliberately left that first one off, that he loves God above all else. So he says, well, I've done all of those. Um, and the way Mark records this in his gospel, says Jesus looks at him with love and says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Just some interesting stuff going on here. Remember the commandment Jesus left off? That you would put God first, that you would love God above all else? It now starts to make sense why he left that one off. Because that's the one commandment this young man had failed to keep. That there was something else he loved more than God. Something else he trusted more than God. Something he had more faith in than God. Which was his wealth. Wealth in and of itself is not bad at all. Not a reason to be sad. But when Jesus helps him to diagnose the state of his heart... He recognizes, oh, I'm loving something else more than I love God. And any time we realize that, in fact, any time we even do that unwittingly, love something else more than God, the end result is always sadness. The guy walks away sad. Oh, yeah, there is something else I love more than God. There's something else I trust more than God. And because deep down all of you were designed, hardwired to trust God above all else, when you discover, when I discover something in my life that I'm trusting more than God, the feeling is always regret and sadness. But the flip side of that is that any time I do put God first, any time I take a thing that I used to worship, used to trust, used to put my faith in, and I cut it down, and I put it in its rightful place, and often that requires some big symbolic act of felling that idol in my life, and put that trust and faith and love that I used to put towards that thing onto God, the net result is the opposite. It's not sadness. It's always great joy. Friends, it's always great joy. In the area of your mental health, in the area of your sexuality, in the area of your work life, in the area of your parenting, in the area of your finances, in the area of your identity, in any area, when I discover that there's something else I've been putting my faith in, and Jesus in his kindness exposes to me, yeah, I've been trusting that, the feeling, it smarts a little bit, it's painful, there's sadness. 
But then the inverse is true. Anytime I kill that thing and say, I don't care what people think of me, or I don't care about approval, or I don't care about conquest, or I don't care about whatever else it is that I used to have some faith in, and I put my faith solidly in God, the net result, the feeling that comes, the, the, the fruits of that is always joy, always deep contentment, not necessarily comfort. But remember, you weren't designed for comfort. Joy is the result. And so in this guy's case, as in so many of our cases, the issue is money. Jesus says, well, you're going to need to do something symbolic to break the hold that has on your life, to set you up to spend the rest of your life not only experiencing the great joy of having trusted God in that area, but also as a side benefit, money has a whole other spiritual thing. It causes worry. It causes stress. You get to release yourself of all of those negative experiences as well. It makes sense. The argument from Jesus makes total sense. And so we're all on the journey as the church of going, well, one of the things we do in this home, one of our fundamental core values here is that we are not going to serve money. We're going to make it serve us. And in serving, in serving us, it may accrue greatly. Some of us may end up super wealthy. Some of you may be able to be content on very little. That's not the issue. The issue is that that thing is never going to control us. We're not going to worship it, trust it, love it. We're going to love God first. And the result will be joy from him and the release from all the worry and stress that it causes. And so that brings me around to some details I want to give you about this building plan. Okay, so we're going to take up an offering now. Uh, and on your seat is a pledge card. Uh, and I'll give you some details of how that works. And today is not your only chance. So for some of you, you're arriving halfway through this story. You may need a few more weeks um, to really work this out. Others of you have been praying and wrestling with God. And you've got to a point where today you're going to do that big symbolic act and take a huge faith step and look forward to the experience of being provided for by God. And I don't want to get in your way, so you're welcome to give today. Um, but over the next few weeks, some more details will come clear. But here, here's a few things to tell you about. Um, this place we want to build, we have a spot in mind. But let me start to take you sequentially through the thinking. So this is the concept statement. Um, this is what we're trying to achieve, is to, is to create a space that's available to everyone, where all the key components of life get satisfied, right? So if I just read this to you, we're saying that the uh, spiritual, social, economic, and educational needs of the community get met in the space that we want to build. Not just the spiritual. Remember, we're not coming with our own agendas only. We want to make this uh, Jesus accessible. Even the little kids should be able to come. So the social, networking, the economic, there'll be retail there, there'll be an opportunity to do work there, shared workspaces. And all these other needs that, that society has. They need some things. They need to buy some stuff. They need to do some work. They need a place to be creative. They need a place to hang out and make friends. And they need a place to learn. And they need a place to worship. We want to create a space that caters to all those needs. So the life and soul. And I love that phrase, the life and soul. I feel like God really gave that to us. That we want to create the life and soul of the community. The life and soul makes you think of the life and soul of a party. right? There's an element of fun and joy. But there's also... It speaks to the two halves of what life is about. You've got some physical life needs, practical ones, and then you've got some soul needs to learn, to grow, to worship. We want to make sure that we can cater for as many of both as we can, many of the, of the things in both of those categories as we can. So there are many reasons to come to this place. Um, and so it'll be self-sustaining. It'll be sustainable. This thing must make some money. So really, as a church, we're starting to think, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a strange idea. But the property, not necessarily Olive Tree Church, but the property will be a money-making business, which will allow its shareholders to make some money. One of the shareholders will be Olive Tree. I'll describe that in a second. Which means that our church is not going to be paying for the rest of life to have a place to stay, but actually we're going to, in time, be able to start to earn something off this 
space that we've built and use. Money that will allow us to plant another site. Money that will allow us to do things we could only dream of doing in Tolatando. Money that will allow us to fund the making Jesus and his kingdom accessible um, to a greater audience going forward. So that's the concept, right? And so we've started looking around for some examples of a space that feels like this in the rest of the world. So we're going to flick through a few pictures. Um, but this is what we wanted to sort of feel like there, right? These are some other places around the world, and I want you to get kind of caught on exactly what they look, that picture looks like, especially now that the HDMI cable has blown out. Um, but that feeling of there's a coffee shop there, there's a creche there that runs during the week, there's a tertiary institution, at least one if not two, who are going to be key tenants on this property, so students are going to be there, places to, to do some business, office space to rent, shared workspaces to, to sit in, and then this auditorium, which the university students will use from time to time, which the church is obviously going to use a lot of the time, um, but which creates this sort of town square, center of life feeling. Um, and so we have a few ideas of if you can flick back to, right, we have a few ideas of where this is going to be, but here's the big reveal. This is what we're hoping against hope we can pull off. Um, to give you a sense of where you are, the red roofs are Lily's Quarter, okay? And so for more of you drug-taking types, uh, Lineage Coffee is just behind under the green roof. That's what you probably know better and could find your way to in your sleep. Uh, and that means over the road you've got Oxford Village, which has just recently been purchased by a big development crowd from Joburg, and so some money is going to be going in there. And so we've identified two properties on that little dead end called Delamore Road that comes within a few feet of Old Main, which, once again, there are no guarantees yet. Our architects are busy working as we speak on trying to figure out some feasibilities. Will surge be a limiting issue there or not? And if surge doesn't work, then we might all be up to our necks and Anyway, so that's a, um, that's a limitation. We just need to check, can the water system actually work there? Will there be enough space for the parking required, et cetera? And so we're trying to engage with the municipality to get some sense from them. Is it feasible? If not, there's some other options just over the road, um, and you could always just go and march around the Mormon church and pray and pray and pray, and we can take that over. I would love that so much. If you could just join me, that has been the prayer. I've been praying for the last, I don't know, it feels like a lifetime. But there are a few other properties in that area that have other pros and cons. But we are so excited that that crossroads or something in that area has that feeling of there's nightlife there anyway. There's life and soul happening there anyway. We can add to what's going on. There'll be reason to hang out. And our youth group can explode. And our evening courses can suddenly explode. And we can do church the way you guys love to do church, making Jesus and the kingdom really accessible. Uh, and we think that on that property, this idea of putting some commercial value to this property and having it start to make some money is actually really likely. That's a smart place. Just business-wise, it's a smart place. So then the last thing to tell you about, if you can flick to the next slide, Dietz, is this stuff. Now, my banking genius mates are probably already going to tune me for telling me you as much as I'm telling you, but this is just what you need to understand. For us to pull this off, right, the big dream, all this awesome stuff, these tenants, these great big buildings, we as a church need to come up with five million rand. Okay, let's just get kind of crude and practical. Uh, and five million rand to give you some sense of what that means. If 200 of us, there are probably about 180 in the room right now, 250 people would call Olive Tree Church their home. If 200 people were to give 25 grand, we're there. So like, this is not a terrifying amount of money. In God's economy, this is putty sticks. Five bar from us allows us to be the main shareholder that gets this thing up and running. And then we'd need one or two other Big development type shareholders who are prepared to stand surety because we'll need a little bit of money from the bank. Because what we're building is more than what we just need. We're building something bigger that we can rent out, out to others because of that whole idea of having other tenants on the 
property. Five million rand also is enough money for us to buy the properties right now, which gets the ball rolling, as opposed to waiting and floating in the air trying to ask people to invest in something where we don't have the land. So this is really exciting. We could do this. We are trusting that as of today and over the next few weeks, God is going to unlock some finances through us, and we're going to end up having those pieces of land or one of the ones over the road. Um, that then allows us to have one of the two of these other shareholders and the bank, and I'm told by smarter people than me that even being super conservative, within about five to seven years, the loan's paid off, the shareholders are starting to make money, Olive Tree Church is starting to recoup its initial investment, and we're heel-clicking and dancing our way down the street because now we have a place to do church that resonates with who we are and what we stand for. Okay, so that's what's going on right now. So the pledge card that's on your, on your chair as we finish. We're, it's worth saying a few things. Firstly, we're all going on this journey together. If you're new to faith, if you're exploring Jesus, then we want him to be accessible, which means this whole thing we're doing right now could be exactly one of those things that makes Jesus feel less accessible to you. Because churches and their reputation and track record around money, and I know how it makes you feel, all of this is like making it harder for you to love God. In which case, just doodle on the back of that thing. Just have a piece of nice stationery from us for free. This mustn't get in your way, okay? So... By the time we're in this new building and living out our dreams and doing the things God has called us to do, we're still going to all be celebrating together, even if you put 10 bucks into this process. You're still going to be just as much a part of the family and just as proud of it. On the other hand, I know I was chatting to someone this week who has no right to be thinking this way, but he and his wife both feel like God has told them to put half a million rand in. And I tell you that because... Paul does the exact same thing through Acts. You read through Acts and you start saying, oh, this guy said he's going to give that much, this guy said he's going to give that much. Some of us, certainly Bern and I, are freaking out around a fraction of that amount of money. I mean, 500,000 bucks, that's literally more than I earn in a month. So like that's, that's really hard to get our heads around. But all of us have this opportunity to go on a cool adventure with God, trying to figure out a number, trying to figure out what he's calling us to give. And for some of you, he is not calling you to give anything. He's calling you to enjoy the freebies of being part of the kingdom of God, where we get stuff we didn't earn and we don't deserve. And I want you to hear that loud and clear. You are on this journey with us. You are just as welcome whether you ever give anything or not. The other thing that's important to say is that you don't have to have the rest of your life right to be able to go on this faith-giving journey with God. This is quite an important one for me. We started off the whole series by saying that the most disproportionate result you get in terms of growing and leading your heart and hauling it somewhere is around money, which means even if your love for God is not where you want it to be, your prayer life is not where you want it to be, your victory over sin is not where you want it to be, your whatever, you can still start this finance journey because, in fact, it's one of the best ways to pull the rest of your heart into line. We don't have to wait to be getting every other part of life you know, perfect faith-wise before we go on this journey. Sometimes this is the smart journey to start on because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, the Bible says. So for many of us who are in maybe disconnected weird space with God, that's not a reason to check out of this journey. That's actually a reason to sign up even more for this journey because I'm going to get my heart more in love with God. I'm going to get my life more orientated around the things of God as I lead my life with my wallet towards this stuff. So that's the other thing to say. And then the last thing to say is that there may be impression that you need to hear a booming voice from God before you get involved in this. And that would just be such a shame for so many of us who have enough instruction out of Scripture to know that this is something we should be doing. But if we get into this weird culture of, but God told me, but God told me, we can sometimes 
exaggerate just how clearly people are hearing from God and how it only happens in one way, where in fact God speaks to you through his word, God speaks to you through preaching, God speaks to you through people, God speaks to you through your own brain, which can sometimes sound vaguely familiar to thoughts that you think, but in fact are the thoughts God is giving you to think. And so if every one of us has got this analysis paralysis where we can't go on some wonderful journey with God, which we know will bear fruit because I'm waiting for it to be written on the wall, many of us are going to miss out on something wonderful. So having said up front, there's no pressure on you, and I don't want anyone to feel like they're going to not be able to celebrate this if they don't go on the journey. I also would love as many of us as possible, even if over the next few weeks and months we put in a little bit to be able to say, cool, God, I partnered with you in something wonderful, uh, and we're all going to celebrate it together at the end. So as I wrap up, that pledge card on your seat. You can take it home with you, um, but we're going to invite the band back up. And so you can whip it out. There's a, there's a uh, envelope that you may have sat on, and um, you're going to have an opportunity to give in one lump sum up front if that's what you're feeling called and ready to do. For some of us, there's going to be a bit of a journey as we think God has given us a number that may take a few months to materialize. That's also fine. Obviously, the, the more of the cash we can get up front, the sooner we can buy the land, but I'd be happy if this is going to take a year, two years for some of us as we go on a journey with God and giving. Um, and the only other really important thing to say on a practical note is there's a separate zapper code in there if that's the way you like to do things. And there is a, that's a different bank account. So we've set up a building fund for this. And so there's a different bank account that all the building money is going to go into as opposed to just the normal running of church and the normal tithing and offering that goes on. And so I would just want you to know that, that you're going to need to use that bank account, not the normal one. Otherwise, the money that you pledge is going to just end up going into the normal running of church, which I suppose by osmosis will eventually possibly get here, but it would just make everything much more simple if you could use that account. So you're welcome to take this home with you, figure it out. But we are now going to in an act of joyous celebration, take up an offering. So you've got a pen on there that you can scribble on, uh, and there's a little sheet that you can take away with you that has those details on it. Uh, it would really help us just to know where we stand if you can be giving those pledge forms back to us when you've got to your number and you've agreed with your spouse and God, both are just as important, um, around what you're going to do. And so we're going to worship together, uh, and after a moment or two, the baskets are going to go around, and you're going to respond in faith now, or you're going to pray over this offering and take your pledge form home. But I really would encourage you, if you've arrived here today expecting this, then conditions aren't going to get any more perfect than they are right now. Um, and so now is an opportunity for you to take your step of faith. Is that okay? Let's stand, family. God, we are available to you to be part of a great story. We make ourselves available. We make our lives available to you. We want to love you more than anything else. We want to trust you more than anything else. We want to rely on you more than anything else because we know there is fullness of life. There is joy. The idols always let us down. And so I pray for our whole community that this experience for all of us would be one that deepens our love and reliance on you and allows us to build something that is going to glorify you and serve this neighborhood and make you accessible to them for generations to come, that many, many, many would get saved. Just as we got saved and met you in a church that someone else paid for and built, we pray that we now have the opportunity to be involved in setting up something that allows others, multitudes, to come to know you throughout many, many years. What a privilege to be involved in that. Amen.